Innalhamdalillah Innalhamdalillah Nahmeduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ghfiruh Wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudillalah Wa man yudlil falahadiyalah Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh Amma ba'd Today's chapter then Bab Qawli Allahi ta'ala Ya ayyuhal rasulu Ballig ma unzila ilayka min rabbik Wa illam tafa'al Fama ballagta risalatah the chapter, the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that O Messenger convey what has been revealed to you from your Lord and if you do not do so then you have not conveyed the message. And then waqala zuhri min Allahir risalah وَعَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ الْبَلَاغِ وَعَلَيْنَا التَّسْلِيمِ Al-Imam Al-Zuhri said, From Allah is the Risalah, meaning that guidance, the revelation, that has come to us from Allah. وَعَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ الْبَلَاغِ and upon the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is to convey that message, that revelation that has come from Allah وَعَلَيْنَا التَّسْلِيمِ And as for us, what is upon us is to submit to that. So from Allah is that message, that revelation the Prophet ﷺ upon him is to convey it and us upon us is to submit to it. And Allah said, لِيَعْلَمَ أَنْ قَدْ أَبْلَغُوا رِسَالَاتِ رَبِّهِمْ That he knows or to know that they have conveyed the messages of their Lord, the revelations, the guidances from their Lord, they have conveyed them. That I convey to you the risalat, those guidances, the revelation from my Lord. <coughs> the heading continues with various other titles, but we'll go through them in the explanation one by one. The beginning then, as Shaykh Al-Thaymeen, he says, هذا الباب أيضا كما قلنا أولا يريد البخاري أن يقرر بأن فعل العبد مخلوق That the purpose of this chapter, again, as the previous chapters were, is to highlight that our actions are created. We began with that theme talking about the recitation of the Qur'an, that your recitation, your action, that is created. 
Your vocals, your voice, your action in reading is created. But the red words, the Quran is not created. But your action, your reading, your vocals are created. From that, all of these chapters are based on that theme of the actions of the servants being created. Our actions are created. So here it's along that same theme. Because here it says, Ya ayyuhal rasoolu ballig ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. O messenger, convey what has been revealed to you from your Lord. Wa illam tafa'al. And if you do not do so, fama ballagta risalata. Then you have not conveyed that message from him, from Allah. Al-Rasul Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Rasul, here obviously in reference to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And notice that in the ayah it does not say, Ya ayyuhal nabi. It says, Ya ayyuhal rasul. Does not say Ya Ayyuhan Nabi لأن المناسب للبلاغ الرسالة بوصف الرسول Because the one who conveys the risala Then it is more appropriate to address the person as the Rasul That matches The Rasul conveys the risala so you have that overlap and that matching there. Hence it is mentioned here, Ya ayyuhal rasul, as opposed to saying, Ya ayyuhal nabi, the rasul, the messenger, is the one who conveys the message from Allah. And these kinds of points are important in the Quran, how Allah addresses the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The scholars, they mentioned, uh, Shaykh Al-Fawzan, he mentioned that Allah does not address the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an with the name Muhammad. There are instances of it, but the point is, overall, Allah does not address the Prophet ﷺ as Muhammad in the Qur'an. Rather, it is in the address of the Nabi or the Rasul by that honor and that title and that duty that you are the Prophet, O Prophet, and O Messenger, upon you this, upon you that. To highlight that duty of the Prophet wasallam, and to uh, be a testimony to his position that he is the Prophet the messenger entrusted with that uh, revelation given to him to convey to the people. So here, Ar-Rasul is mentioned because it is appropriate to the context of what is being spoken about, which is the Risala, that message from Allah to be conveyed. بَلِّغْ مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْكَ مِنْ رَبِّكَ Convey! What has been revealed to you from your Lord? 
وذلك بأن تقرأه على الناس and how do you do that how is this conveying going to occur by reading that to the people the Quran that has been given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for him to then go and read that to the companions and they learn it and memorize it the sunnah that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has been given for him to go and narrate that to the companions to the believers so to go and narrate that to go and recite that this is the conveying that occurs from the messengers as well as of course the actions implementing that revelation and then in the sunnah to complete the definition you also have the taqreer because the sunnah what is the sunnah what is incorporated within the sunnah when we say sunnah what is included what is in the definition of sunnah one person two people only two people know what the sunnah is so what is in the definition of the sunnah Mm. Statements of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Actions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And tacit approval as they say Of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam They are the three core aspects of it The statements of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is clear narrations where the prophet commanded you to do something or prohibited you to do from doing something clear statements sunnah the prophet commanded this and the prophet warned against that in narrations they are clear statements of the prophet telling you do this telling you don't do that actions sunnah is also taken from the actions of the prophet for example, Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. That is a. That's a what? Pray as you have seen me pray. That is a. It's a statement. That in of itself is a statement. But then what it's indicating is the actions you're going to follow and you're going to take, and that is sunnah. The actions of how the Prophet prayed. Uh, when the Prophet وسلم, said to them in Hajj, take from me your rights. So they saw the Prophet doing Hajj, he was on his camera and they could see. And they took those actions from him how to do the Hajj. So you have the actions of the Prophet. Wudu is another example, all narrated from the actions and there are statements too but actions are mentioned that the prophet used to make wudu in this way and that way and the companions some of them they narrate how to make the full wudu and then they say at the end of the hadith this is how the prophet used to make his wudu the actions of the prophet وسلم, that they took it from so statements actions and then this tacit approval what's tacit approval it's a big word. 
So something was done in the presence of So something uh, was done something happened by one of the companions or something happened something was done and the prophet sallallahu never disapproved of it indicating therefore that he approved of it that's basically it tacit approval is where for example the companions they used to do certain actions and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not prohibit them from those certain actions indicating that those certain actions were okay and good to do because if those particular actions were not allowed they were not good to do then the prophet ﷺ would have simply told them you cannot do this or that so there may be certain things that are not narrated from the prophet having done them or said them but companions used to do certain things the prophet ﷺ never told them stop doing that thing never forbade them from that particular thing indicating therefore that this thing whatever it might be was okay and good to do permissible to do by approval of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he never forbade them that may have been in the presence of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam some of the companions may have done something in the presence of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the prophet didn't reject that rebuke that nothing allowed it indicating that it's okay clearly sometimes the actions though may have occurred somewhere else not in the presence of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so that there sometimes causes an issue for some people they say how could the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or how can you say that the Prophet ﷺ approved of some given action that one of the companions did if that companion had done that action not in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ how can you say the Prophet approved of it if he never even saw it and the companion didn't even do it in his presence what if the Prophet didn't even know the companion had done that thing how can you use this argument that the Prophet never rebuked that action, therefore it must be okay? That action wasn't even done in front of him. How do we know the Prophet even knew about the companions doing that thing? So now what are you going to say? Is that tacit approval as well or not? Or does tacit approval have to be when something was done in the presence of the Prophet he saw it, he was aware of it clearly and didn't rebuke it, didn't refute it and therefore it shows that it was okay he accepted it, affirmed it but if something was done not in his presence, in his absence then can we still use that same argument the Prophet never refuted this action what if somebody comes along and says it wasn't done in his presence how can you even prove the Prophet knew they were doing that? Maybe if he knew, he would have rebuked it. So is that still tacit approval if it was done in his absence? 
Still yes, why? What if he didn't know? Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Huh? He would have been informed about it? How? So somebody else may have come and told him, companions, or somebody was doing this or that. What if nobody came and told him? Could he have been informed in some other way? He's whispering an answer. He's cheating. What do you say? You want to take his answer? Revelation. Correct. So if something was being done by the companions in the absence of the Prophet ﷺ, and it was wrong against the laws of Allah, against the laws of Islam, against the Sharia, what was happening in the absence of the Prophet, not in his direct presence, then what would have occurred? Revelation would have come to the Prophet ﷺ regarding that affair and he would have rectified it and corrected it. It cannot be, nobody can argue that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, when revelation was still coming to him, that other companions would have been doing things that were in opposition to the Sharia. And yet no revelation came informing the Prophet of that. No rectification was made of that. These oppositions occurred during his lifetime and got settled as sunnahs of the companions. That cannot be. If anything occurred during his lifetime that others were doing, companions were doing, not in his presence, in his absence, and it was wrong what they were doing, revelation would have come and informed the Prophet ﷺ and that issue would have been rectified. So now that brings us to the point, if the companions were doing something in his absence and no revelation came and no rectification was made of it, it therefore indicates that action was okay, approval is there. There are some from, you could maybe say, people of knowledge who may bring that argument and say that no, if it was in his absence, it doesn't count. And that isn't correct. The correct opinion, as the scholars have mentioned, is that if it was incorrect, the revelation would have come. The fact that no revelation came and companions were doing those things indicates it was okay what they were doing. A classic example that is often quoted by the scholars to make the point on that is the hadith of Jabir when he said, That we used to uh, perform the coitus interruptus. I remember this time. We used to perform the coitus interruptus during the time when the Quran was still being revealed to the Prophet. So they used to perform that act during the lifetime of the Prophet وسلم, and revelation was still coming to the Prophet وسلم, and they used to perform this act of coitus interruptus. No rebuke ever occurred, no refutation of that act ever occurred, 
There was nothing to disapprove of that, and this was occurring. Companions were doing this during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, indicating it is an act that is permissible. It is an act that is permissible. There are other fiqh issues related to it, uh, approval, etc., and that the husband and the wife, they understand this affair, and it's not like the wife wants children and the husband is... Uh, performing quitters interrupt us against her will there are other fiqh issues related to it but the point is it's an action that was obviously obviously being done in the absence of the prophet yet it was not rebuked no revelation came rebuking it saying it's impermissible nothing came in that therefore it is approval there is approval upon that so the point with tacit approval is it's not a statement of the Prophet or an action of the Prophet. It is an action of the companions. And the Prophet ﷺ did not rebuke it, didn't say it's wrong, and therefore that classes as an approval on it. So the point of that here was that the Prophet ﷺ had the obligation upon him of conveying that message, that uh, 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 revelation from Allah. Then we had this statement of Al-Imam Az-Zuhri which basically summarizes the whole issue of what we are doing, our purpose, our existence, our understanding of being created for the worship of Allah very simply simplifies it here when Al-Imam Az-Zuhri says Min risala. From Allah comes that message comes that revelation, comes that guidance. Upon the messenger of Allah who receives that revelation from Allah is to convey it. To convey it to the masses, convey it to the people. And then upon us, very simply, is to submit to it, to practice it, and to follow it. Al-Shaykh al-Thameen says, Kalimatun jayyida. Very good words. Very good words from Al-Imam al-Zuhri. From Allah comes the revelation. The messenger upon him is to convey it. Us upon us is to submit and to uh, comply with it, to obey Allah upon it. Simple as that. Min Allahi al-Risala wa ala Rasulillahi al-Balagh wa alayna al-Taslim. From Allah is the revelation upon the messenger is to convey it upon us is to submit to it. And this is from the excellent etiquette that a person shows when speaking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is the excellent etiquette? Al-Imam Zuhri said, from Allah is the revelation, the message. Upon the messenger is to convey and upon us is to submit. Where is the etiquette there? But in the statement, in the statement, look at it carefully. From Allah is the risala. The message, the revelation. Upon the messenger is to convey. Upon us is to submit. Huh? 
the order but that's the normal order anyway revelation is where it begins anyway that would be the order anyway So you note in the statement, he doesn't say upon Allah is to send the revelation because the other two are upon, upon, upon the messenger, obligation upon the messenger to convey, upon us to submit. But he doesn't begin the statement saying upon Allah is to send the message to us. We as the servants cannot say it is upon Allah to do this or to do that. So from his etiquette, Sheikh al says, look how he phrased it. From Allah comes the revelation, then upon the messenger is to convey and upon us is to submit. But not to say upon Allah is to send the message. These types of points, even though they are not the core of the, the topic, and in any explanation that would not be the core of the topic, but they are side points that are important. And scholars do mention these kinds of side points in narrations to show you the etiquette in speaking and talking, the etiquettes of the student of knowledge, the etiquettes when you're talking about Allah, about the Quran, the Sunnah, the religion. They give some examples, others like when a narrator, the hadith about Abu Talib, the hadith about Abu Talib, Abu Talib who was the uncle of the Prophet وسلم, and he died as a Muslim or a Kafir? As a Kafir. So the narrator who was narrating that hadith, he narrates it that the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, went to visit his uncle and then he was telling his uncle, Oh my uncle, say la ilaha illallah. And then the kuffar, the two mushrikeen or the three mushrikeen who were there, they were saying to him, No, say, stay upon the religion of your forefathers, etc. And back and... All this was occurring, and then he says, and at the end, the narrator says, And the last thing that he said was, The narrator says, the last thing Abu Talib said was, that he is remaining upon the religion of his forefathers, Abdul Muttalib. Where's the etiquette in that? The narrator says, the last thing Abu Talib said, he is upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. No, it's not about what Abu Talib said, it's about how the narrator narrated it. Uh-huh, um, okay, but there's something else here. Normally when you quote someone, because the narrator there is quoting Abu Talib, he's quoting, he's, he's mentioning, narrating what Abu Talib said. It is typical and it is normal. If you narrate from what somebody is saying, when you say, he said, somebody says to you, what, what, what did Muhammad say? What's going on? Where, where is he? You say, he said, I'm going to the shops instead. He said he's not coming. He said, I'm going to the shops instead. What's happened there with the pronouns? I'm. That's how you'd normally talk. It's a normal thing. Casually, you'd say it. He said he's not coming with us today. He said, I'm going to go to the shops instead. He said, I'm going to go to the shops instead. Who's the I'm? The person talking or 
this person they are talking about. The person they're talking about, he's quoting from him, but he's using the personal pronoun, I'm. He's not talking about himself, he's talking about him, quoting him, that he said, I'm going to go to the shops. Rather than saying, he said, he's going to go to the shops, which is okay as well. But often, often it occurs in speech that you'll use the first person, the personal pronoun, I think they call it, I'm, when you're actually referring to him. That is normal, no problem in that, that's how it's done. Because it's known, it's known. When you say, he said he's not going to come with us today, he said, I'm going to go to the shops today. Who's going to go to the shops? Him. Just because I've said, I'm, the person listening to me isn't going to think I'm saying, I'm going to go to the shops. It's clear, I'm saying, he said he's going to go to the shops. But I'm using I'm. In this narration, the narrator didn't say the last thing Abu Talib said was, I'm remaining upon the religion of my forefathers. He didn't use that pronoun like that. Instead, he said the last thing Abu Talib said was, he is remaining upon the religion of his forefathers. Why did the narrator particularly choose not to use I'm? Even though you could and it would mean exactly the same thing and nobody would misunderstand if you said, and the last thing Abu Talib said was, I'm on the religion of my forefathers. That is clear. It's Abu Talib saying that. But why did he not say I'm? Sort of. That's getting closer. Warmer, warmer. That's probably better. So, even though there's no confusion about whose statement it is, if the narrator says, and the last thing Abu Talib said was, I'm upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. No confusion. Clearly, that is Abu Talib's statement. But the narrator did not want to use the first, the, the personal pronoun, I'm, in talking that phrase, in saying that phrase, I'm upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. He didn't even want to say it like that as a statement, I'm upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib, even though there is no confusion, he is quoting Abu Talib. He didn't even want to utter the words like that. I am upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Such was the etiquette with the understanding of the religion, Tawheed and Shirk. He doesn't even want to say it like that, even phrase it like that, that I am upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Leaves it phrased in the third person. He said, he is upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Even though, like we said, linguistically in language, typical and normal for you to quote in the first person, he said that I'm going to go to the shops today. I'm, even though you're talking about him. Normal. But the narrators from their etiquette in speech and from their recognition of the virtue of Tawheed and the evil of Shirk didn't even want to say those words in that phrase. That he said, I'm upon the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Not I'm, him. That's an example. And there are other examples they mention like that as well. Where... The narrators, they showed the etiquette when speaking regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, speaking about the religion, 
So that's an example here they mention from Al-Imam Al-Zuhri. The more you read the older books especially, and they are more difficult, a lot more difficult, but when you come across the style of the older scholars, they obviously quote a lot from the Salaf. Lots of quotes from the Salaf. And you see their language and the way they used to talk and their style. And even from that, you see the etiquettes of how they were. The manner that they used to speak in, the, the, the way that they would phrase things. There is a difference. The books of the scholars of old are a lot, lot more difficult to understand than the books of the scholars today. The books of the scholars today simplified, nice, easy Arabic, nice, easy explanations. But when you go to the books of the scholars, even Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyim, some of their books, you try and read them. You, now you read, for example, a Shaykh Al-Fawzan, even a Shaykh Al-Thaymeen, etc. And you think, MashaAllah, my Arabic is good now, I can understand it all. And then you go pick up a book of Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyim. Then all of a sudden now, there's 20, 30 words every page you have to go and check. And you see that difference in their style and in their method of talking. So the point here now, Al-Imam Al-Zuhri said, from Allah is that message, upon the messenger is to convey it, and upon us is to submit to it. عَلَيْنَا التَّسْلِيمِ بِمَا تَقْتَضِيهِ هَذِهِ الرِّسَالَةِ It is upon us to submit to what this message, this revelation requires of us, what it necessitates from us. So within that comes the issue of belief, that you absolutely, certainly believe in all of that revelation that has come, and that you submit to all of the commands in it, and all of the prohibitions in it, and you believe in all of the information and the news that we've been taught in it about the Barzakh and the Day of Judgment and the angels and the jinn and all of the things, the things that are unseen to us as well. You have absolute belief in it all. All of it is obligatory upon us. And upon us is to accept and to submit. And we don't object to it. And we don't say why. Why is this command like that? Why do we have to do that? Why is that prohibited? What's wrong with that? We don't question that. Rather when it comes to the revelation from Allah. Then we say we hear and we obey. See that there now. If you were to read that to any Muslim, they would all say, absolutely we agree. Is any Muslim going to disagree with that? Whether they are from the Tabligh, they are from the Khawarij, they are from Ikhwani, they are from any place. You read that section to them there, that upon us is to submit to the revelation, submit to the commands, submit to the prohibitions, Believe in all of the news and the information that has come in the revelation. Upon us is all of that to hear and obey. Is any Muslim going to say, no, that's not upon us? Generally speaking, they wouldn't. Atabli, he will say, yeah, of course, that's good. Khariji will say, that's okay, that's good. Ikhwani will say, that's okay, that's good. Generally speaking. But the reality is that even though all of these different sects, 
all of these different denominations, different people upon different beliefs, when you tell them Quran, Sunnah, we have to submit to it, we have to follow it, they all say, yes, of course. Of course we submit to the Quran and the Sunnah. Of course, submission to the revelation of Allah, we follow it. But then the issue is the reality of what they are upon after they make these statements. They will all make the statements. But are they in reality implementing and practicing those statements? That is where the downfall occurs. Because they are not. They are practicing their deviations. Many of the people, they are not practicing and submitting to what is in the Quran and the Sunnah. You have the example these days right now going on. The birthday of the Prophet Where is your submission to the Quran and the Sunnah? In going and doing this birthday and celebrations and everything. A celebration that in the first place is not established as a date. It is not even known the exact date that the Prophet ﷺ was born on. There are differences of opinion. Some scholars have mentioned up to six opinions of different scholars. Some scholars even said the Prophet was born in Ramadan. It's an opinion. There are other opinions about Rabiul Awwal, about Safar, about different months. Some scholars have mentioned there are at least six different opinions as to which month and what date the Prophet was born on. We know that he was born on a Monday. But what date exactly, in what month exactly is not proven. And that is something which has a very big point in it. If the birthday of the Prophet was a date of significance and importance in terms of worship, in terms of seeking closeness to Allah, then can it be that the Sahaba would have lost that date and never narrated it to us? A date of that much significance would be lost no narrations, no companion telling us we went and asked the Prophet and we established it is this of Rabi'ul Awwal or it is this of this month or this of that month. If that was a day of worship, then certainly if it was a day of celebration or a day of something special, then certainly the exact date would have been narrated to us. The fact that it hasn't been narrated is a proof that the day is not a day of significance. That's a proof. The fact that none of the companions narrated to us the exact uh, confirmed birth date of the Prophet ﷺ indicates that it wasn't an issue of significance. It's not an issue of uh, importance. It's not a day of celebration or a special thing. Hence, no narration in that uh, regard telling us the exact date that's one point because if it was so important there is no way the whole of the sunnah would have neglected it if it was that important to celebrate the birthday and it's a special day it would have been in the sunnah somewhere the companions used to narrate the most precise things from the prophet sallallahu the most precise things, he used to do this and he used to do that. 
And when he prayed, he would do this. And we used to see his beard moving and everything, precision. Yet something as big as this would be neglected and forgotten by accident. There is not a chance of it. So that is a proof in of itself straight away. The companions didn't preserve this date and convey and narrate this date. It's not in the Sunnah anywhere confirmed and established. Indicating therefore it's not something of significance. If it was of significance, it would have been safeguarded within the Sunnah. Then on top of that, the actual birthday of the Prophet wasallam was it ever celebrated, actually celebrated by the Prophet wasallam himself? Did he actually do some event on the day of his birthday, hold gatherings and walk marches in the streets and fly planes in the sky and make cakes? Big cakes taller than you. That's not even a joke. Cakes that are taller than you. And aeroplanes in the sky. And open top. Or maybe that is an exaggeration. Allah alam if it's open top. But buses at least. And I think it was open top. Double decker coaches and buses that ride through the towns. To celebrate like a parade. To the extent a brother said to me today. He was going to go and get a subway. And the birthday parade blocked the route to the subway the birthday parade was going through and the route to the subway was blocked couldn't get to it he had to go somewhere else parades in the streets was this done at the time of the prophet never you will never find a hadith if it was done very simple show us the hadith where the prophet used to take them all out on a march on the day of his birthday where he would take the companions, get them together, do a sermon. Where are these narrations? They don't exist. So we know that the Prophet never did it. He never celebrated his own birthday. If he did, then there would be narrations clearly. After he died, did the companions do it then? Did they set up a day where they went out marching or they did other celebrations and they uh, had gatherings in the mosque? And are these things mentioned from the companions? Is there any hadith? You will never find it. So we know the companions didn't do it because if they did and it was a celebration of this magnitude, all of the companions doing it, it would all have been on the same day. Surely somebody would have narrated it. Not a single narration they ever did it. So we know the companions didn't ever do it. After the companions, the tabi'een, the generation after the companions, any narrations anywhere where they did it, where they all got together, and by that time the tabi'een were in different countries. They were everywhere by the time of the tabi'een, spread out across the what's now known as the Middle East, spread out across all of those lands, across Africa. They were everywhere by the time of the tabi'een. Any narration from any country at the time of the tabi'een, that in Baghdad, in Iraq we used to celebrate, in Egypt we used to celebrate, in Palestine we used to celebrate, Nowhere. So we know the Tabi'een didn't do it either. Then after them, the third generation spread everywhere, any country, any narration that they used to get together and do this celebration, nothing at all. You'll never find it. It's not there. The only way you can find it is if you make one up and you fabricate it yourself. So it doesn't exist at all. So we know the birthday was not being celebrated by the pious generations. The Al-Qurun Al-Mufaddala. 
those virtuous three first generations that the Prophet ﷺ praised, it first appeared from the groups of the Rafidah in approximately 360 Hijri, fourth century after the Prophet ﷺ, approximately 360 Hijri. So that's when the birthday first got celebrated. Straight away, straight away, they are the facts. Straight away, we know therefore this isn't a sunnah because it wasn't done by the Prophet ﷺ. It wasn't done by the companions. It wasn't done by the generation after them. It wasn't done by the generation after them. It was an act unknown to the Salaf. Invented afterwards. That's a fact. The ones who are a bit smarter, because it is, most of the people, the masses, they don't know any better. They're blindly following their mosque, blindly following their imams. They need to be taught, they need to be given da'wah. But the ones who are at the heads of them, their imams and their maulanas, they know these facts too. They know they can't show you a hadith where the Prophet got the people together and celebrated. They know they can't show you a hadith where Abu Bakr got everybody together in his khilafah and celebrated. They know they can't do any of that. They know it didn't start till four centuries later. So then they need a different way to try to justify celebrating the birthday of the Prophet. The smart ones, they won't waste their time saying, no, there's a hadith. There's a... There isn't. They know there isn't. So then they're going to try and use some other way to justify their activities. So now what are the ways they're going to be? If they know and they accept, okay, there's no hadith, and okay, the first three generations didn't do it, that doesn't exist, but they're still going to try and prove it. How are they going to try and prove it now? They use other types of arguments alongside. They'll use arguments like, مَنْ سَنَّ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ سُنَّةً حَسَنَةً فَلَهُ أَجْرُهَا وَأَجْرُ مَنْ عَمِلَ بِهَا That whomsoever brings into Islam a good sunnah, he will have the reward of it. They say, is this not a good sunnah? Reviving the remembrance of our messenger. Teaching the people about our messenger. Having lessons on seerah on the day of the birthday. Going out and getting everybody into that love for the messenger of Allah. Is that not a good sunnah? So then what are you going to say? Hadith is authentic. Whomsoever brings about... A sunnah, a good sunnah into Islam will have the reward of it. The explanation of that and other narrations that are similar to that, the meaning of that is the one who revives a sunnah. The one who brings a good sunnah will have the reward of it, i.e. revives a sunnah. A sunnah which was established in the Quran, in, uh, in, the, in the revelation overall, but then it was lost, forgotten and neglected by the people. Then somebody comes along and revives that sunnah. So to the people, it looks like he's bringing about something new. When in reality, it is an old sunnah that they neglected and have forgotten for maybe generations. To the people now, he's bringing a new sunnah. When in reality, he's only reviving what is already a sunnah in the sunnah. So the meaning of those narrations isn't bringing about something new. Rather, it means reviving. So now in that case, the birthday 
for it to qualify for those narrations it had to be a sunnah originally that we've already proven and established that you can never prove it was a sunnah originally there is no narration nothing so there's no such thing as those narrations applying here because you're not reviving any sunnah you are inventing a sunnah it was invented four centuries after the prophet <coughs> you are inventing that not reviving anything so then if that's gone then they may say even if so what am i not allowed to show my love for the messenger are you allowed to show your love for the messenger or not of course who's gonna say no of course so they'll say can i not show my love for the messenger look at us what are we doing we're just showing our love for the messenger of allah we're not going and prostrating to graves and the things you say about us we're just showing our love for the messenger we're just reading about the seerah we're reminding everybody about our beloved final messenger that's all we do on this day what's wrong with that what's wrong with just doing that now what are you going to say no but they are saying now we agree with that but all we want to do we just want to show our love for the messenger is there something wrong with us showing our love for the messenger you got a problem with us showing our love for the messenger mm -hmm. so what are you going to say now so you could say you could quote to them narrations highlighting that this principle of theirs is false you cannot use the principle of i'm just showing my love for allah and the messenger my intention is good what's your problem you can't use that type of argument it's not something which exists islamically because islamically for any actions to be accepted they require two conditions not one one of the conditions is sincerity and the other condition is following the sunnah a person can't just say i am sincere i'm doing this sincerely for the sake of allah going out on the parade doing everything the birthday celebrations sincerely for the sake of allah maybe he says that to you you can't really start arguing tit for tat no you're not sincere i am since no you're not i am he says he's sincere to allah so now what you tell him well even if you are even if for actions to be accepted it requires sincerity and following the sunnah of the prophet because if it was just about claiming sincerity without following the sunnah then anybody could do what they want somebody could come in for dhuhr prayer on their day of work and they say you know today i'm not at work i'm a free man today let me do some extra worship today let me fill my time this extra time i got this spare time i got let me use it in the worship of allah today good or not good so he says at dhuhr time when i come in for dhuhr after the imam gives salam after four rakaat i'm not gonna give salam i'm gonna get up and do another four double my prayer today i'm gonna do doubles and all my prayer today i'm a free man today no work 
So after the Imam gives salam, I'm not going to give salam. I'm going to get up and do four more raka'at and then give salam at the end. Double my worship to Allah. Doubling your worship to Allah. Maghrib, same thing. I'm going to do six or maybe seven on his fiqh to keep it odd. I'm going to do eight at Isha. My intention to increase my worship to Allah today, sincerely to Allah. What's wrong with that? You're telling me I can't do more worship? You tell him, of course you can do more worship, but it has to be worship that is evidenced in the Quran and the Sunnah. You can't come along and say, now my intention is sincere, I'm going to pray eight raka'at. Wrong, it won't be accepted, even if you are, as you claim, upon sincerity of intention. That's why the Salaf, they said, How many people who want goodness never achieve it? You can't just claim my intention is good. You have to have good intention and be following the sunnah for it to be accepted. So now if they say, look, our intentions are good. Okay, we agree with all those arguments you've mentioned to us. No proof, no this, no that. But our intentions are good. We just want to show our love for the messenger. What's wrong with that? You tell them what's wrong with it is intention alone does not suffice. It requires following of the sunnah for your actions to be accepted. And on top of that, your claim that it's just your love for the messenger is a false claim anyway. Because Allah has told us in the Quran how to show our love for the messenger. Allah has told us, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِ Say that if you truly love Allah, then follow me. Following the guidance, following the messenger, sticking to the Quran and the Sunnah, that's how you show your love for Allah and the messenger, not by innovating something new, making up a new celebration. That is not how you show your love. The Salaf, they said, Follow what is in the Sunnah, do not innovate anything new. You have been sufficed. You've been given everything you need in the religion to gain closeness to Allah. I have completed for you your religion. The religion is complete. So you don't need to make up any new way to show your love to Allah and the Messenger as you're now claiming. You can't say it's just to show my love for Allah and the Messenger. That's wrong. Allah's told us if you want to do that, then follow what's in the Quran and the Sunnah. That's how you show your love, not through innovation and making up new acts of celebrations. On top of that, Al Imam Malik he mentioned anybody who claims or does an innovation brings about something new, then he is in effect claiming. That the Prophet ﷺ betrayed the message. Betrayed the message. That's what we've been talking about. Upon the messenger is the conveyance. Convey that message. Anybody who brings about an innovation is by effect claiming that the messenger betrayed the conveying of the religion. How so? Because if they bring about an innovation which they claim through it are gaining closeness to Allah, then they are in effect saying, this is an act of worship which brings us closer to Allah. And the Prophet never told us about it. 
He left a gap there. He betrayed us in that. Why didn't he tell us about this then? If you're claiming you found this way to gain closeness to Allah that the messenger didn't tell us about, it's like you're saying the messenger betrayed the messengership then. It means that he left out pieces. You've had to come and fill those pieces with your innovations. It's like now exactly as, as, as is occurring. They will say we are showing our love for the messenger. So this act of celebrating the birthday, getting planes out in the sky, getting cakes made, doing the parades on the street, the open top buses, whatever it might be, all of that money spent, all of the people in the roads, all of this is to show your love for the messenger apparently. All of these acts, the Prophet never told us about them. Therefore, the Prophet never told us about a very specific and magnificent celebration which brings us closer to Allah. He never told us. Therefore, he betrayed the messengership. That's what it comes down to. If you make an innovation, you are in effect saying, the Prophet didn't tell us about this innovation. We had to make it up. Therefore, the Prophet betrayed us. He should have told us about this because he told us about everything that brings us closer to Allah. Then why didn't he tell us about this? It is an effect saying that the Prophet betrayed us. He didn't tell us about this magnificent celebration we should be doing. So there are multiple reasons. Even if, again, on the point of showing our love for the messenger, who loved the messenger more, you or the Sahaba? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar and Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum. How much they sacrificed in those early days. How much they put forward to Islam. Who loved the messenger more, them or you? Without a doubt, the companions. So who had greater love, the companions, yet you are celebrating this birthday and they didn't? So what are you saying by that? You've got more love for the messenger than they did? They didn't decide to celebrate the birthday. They didn't really love the messenger that much. But you do, mashallah. That's why you're celebrating the birthday. Are you claiming to have more love for the messenger than Abu Bakr did? Or maybe you'll say, but they didn't realize this was a celebration you can do. And if anybody says that, just stay silent for a second and they realize, they realize what they've just said. How can you possibly say that companions didn't realize something, they didn't work something out and you have? You've worked out that the birthday is a good way of showing your love for the messenger, but the companions never worked that out. There are so many different ways to explain to a person that innovations are never acceptable. Man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fahuwa rad. Man amila amalan laysa alihi amruna fahuwa rad. Whoever does something into our religion, brings something into it which is not from it, it will be rejected. Whoever does an action which is not from our religion will be rejected. Celebrating the birthday is not a sunnah. Never done by the Prophet, never done by the companions, not done for four centuries after. That's when it first came about. All these arguments about my intention is good. It's not enough. You need following the sunnah. My love for the messenger, that's all I want to show. Allah's told you how to do that. Follow him then. Don't make up new inventions. Don't make up new innovations, new practices. Every argument is broken down. That's why some of the Salaf, they said, no matter what argument an innovator brings to you, even if they are logical types of arguments, they say, okay, we know there's no proof in the Quran and the Sunnah for the birthday, but just our love for the messenger, even that break it down and tell them, no, you're not showing your love for the messenger. 
Showing your love for the messenger would be following the Quran and the Sunnah as the ayah in the Quran says. They say, but our intention is good. No, your intention isn't. And even if it was, it's not enough. Because you need to be following the Sunnah alongside it. The Salaf said, no matter what argument an innovator brings to you, that same argument they bring to you, you can turn it upon them and explain to them how they're wrong in their argument. So this is something which is widespread these days. Our topic here at the beginning is linked to it directly, submitting to the Sunnah of the Prophet and many of the people think they may be doing that, but they are in fact astray from that. So it requires for the brothers and the sisters to study and to learn, for all of us to study and to learn and to understand so that we can, by the permission of Allah, be an aid to the community, to the society, to our neighbors, to our families, to our people that we know. We can try and guide them, we can try and explain to them, try and show them the straight path and what the sunnah is, explain to them why these acts are innovations and not permissible. So, inshallah ta'ala then, we'll conclude upon that for today. And we'll uh, carry on with the explanation of this section next week after Isha. Insha'Allah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.